Living in the Way. Session three, which is on a little subject, <laughs> who is God? <laughs> who is God? So uh, we're, we're going to try to, in 15, 20 minutes, encapsulate the uh, huh. divine creator of the universe. Good luck to us. Yes. Um, and obviously, this is an introduction. You yeah. know, what, what we want to do is give you some basic ideas about who God is. And, you know, you're, you're starting out on a journey of discovering this wonderful creator who loves you, who knows every hair on your head, he knows every single event going on in your life and all the great things and all the terrible things, mm. he still passionately and deeply loves you. Yeah. And uh, so we're, we're going to talk about some of the, uh, the, the key ideas around who God, the Father, is. Uh, we're going to dispel a couple of the myths, which I think is really important to do, uh, and just start to have a look at who he is and who he reveals himself to be. Yeah. And I think that's that's the thing is that so many people can have mm. opinions about who someone is, yeah. but who did they say that they are? Yeah. You know, and, and when we're talking in particular about God, let's have a listen to who he says that he is rather than the, the third-party opinions. Yeah. Uh, let's have a look in Scripture and see who God chooses to reveal himself to us as. Yeah. So the first way that God reveals him, himself is in the first chapter of, of the of first the, book. Of the first yep. book. And it's it's him revealing himself as God the creator. Now, the guy that I've got sitting with me, I've got Chris Morley with me again today. And we could spend the next eight hours with Chris, <laughs> with him discussing this idea of creator God. Just, just again, Chris, um, we've made jokes in the past about Chris, the angry atheist. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you, you had this, uh, you described it in the last session as, as a bit of a house of cards. Yeah. Um, what was it like to discovering Creator God? Oh, man. Okay, it was the best and worst moment of my entire life. <laughs> the best in that there had been a there had been a skerrick, a sliver of light in me that had I'd never really been able to put to death that wanted this stuff to be true. Mm, wow! Uh, but I had stifled that and suffocated that as much as was possible throughout my life. And and like I said, I didn't become a Christian until my late thirties. So I'm talking about a solid twenty five years of deliberate atheism from the time I was seven and declared myself an atheist for the first time wow. until my mid-30s when I finally um, let go of that. It was a full quarter of a century. Not just I was an atheist by default. No, this was a deliberate choice on my part and I mm. walked further and further into it as I moved through adolescence and into adulthood. But then upon realising one sunny Monday afternoon that he was real uh, and it's like not only having the rug pulled out from under you, but having the rug and the floorboards, the foundations of the house and the earth that was sitting on all pulled out from under you and finally just falling through space. There's nothing left underneath me. My entire worldview, my entire worldview, the way I viewed everything on this entire planet and every person I've ever met was completely shattered wow. in 
the twinkling of an eye, in the blink of an eye, in one breath, in one thought. Yeah. And uh, I was completely undone at that point when I realized I had had it all totally backwards. Wow. So if, if you're listening and you're going, yeah, but, you know, what do I do with with evolution and, and uh, you know, you, you kind of walk in that path? Just wanting to say you're not the first one. You're certainly not going to be the last. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, uh, I remember uh, one day I was sitting with Chris in a restaurant and uh, we were having lunch together and he's like, Todd, I'm so angry. I'm so angry I've been lied to for for 30 years of my life. And, and I'm like, yeah, I, I get it, dude. Calm down. You know, there's other people in the restaurant. You know? uh, it was just so funny. I, I, I mean, it... We have we've often talked about how um, the movie The Matrix ah, yes. is is a little bit like what what people go through uh, awakening to the reality of of God and and you know it's that red pill blue pill thing. If only yeah. we could just take the red pill and go back to sleep and and forget <laughs> that it's it's all. Yeah. You know, it's all there. But you just can't. You can't unlearn what you have no, learned. No, so like, you cannot. Yeah. You can only choose whether to accept it or to try and live in denial. Yeah. You have to uh, wrestle with that from that moment. That's on. right. It's like you're yeah. going, you must unlearn what you have learned. Well, you can't. No. You can't. You, you're stuck with <laughs> you're it. You're stuck with it. That's right. Yeah. So uh, we're going to have a look at uh, a few scriptures around God being creator uh, again, just to see what he has to say about himself. Just before you start, I want to throw a quick quote in there. For anyone that is wrestling with this stuff, I want you to keep this thought in mind. This is a quote by a man called Sidney Harris. One way to distinguish truth from all its counterfeiters is by its modesty. Truth demands only to be heard among others, while its counterfeiters demand that others be silenced. Mm. Start with that. Wow. Start with that. That's really good. Mm. All right, so we're going to have a look at... Uh, Genesis chapter 1, and we're reading verse 26 and 27 and verse 31. Yes. So Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Then we have a bunch of scriptures that go through the six days. And then verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock and all the wild animals of the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then we skip to verse 31. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. You know what I love about this? Christians should be the greatest conservationists. I know, right? (laughs) <laughs> there it is, right in the first chapter of the first book. Yeah. He's given us dominion over all of the earth and its natural inhabitants, the the, the variety of animals we see. Yeah. So I, I just want to encourage you that, you know, if you're trying to um, wrestle with, oh, but, you know, I've got such a love for the earth and all that sort of thing, and how does that fit with the propagated westernized mm. view of christianity that mm. christians are basically there to I, I don't know where this comes from but there's this idea out there somewhere that christians are, are, are that their focus is somehow on like raping the earth for some reason <laughs> and i have no idea where it comes from because all that we see in scripture 
is that God placed man on the earth to care for it. Yeah. So uh, there's, if, if you're listening, you're one of those people that, you know, you really love the earth, you, you, you want to see things cared for properly, then being a Christian is in line Absolutely. With those ideas. Yeah. We don't worship the creation. No, and that's that's the line that gets blurred. Yeah. 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 Is where we are we are worshiping the creator, but part of our worship in worshiping the creator is caring for what he has created. Exactly. Yeah. Being good, you know, gardeners, tenders, stewards, caretakers. Exactly. Until he comes back. Exactly. Okay. Um Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Yep. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. So from these scriptures, we learn that God made everything. And when he made it, he made it good. Right, I think that that's that's the key thing. Is like, why are we in the mess that we're in now? It's not because of God. When He made it, mm, He right. made it good. You know, the the reason that it's all gone to pot <laughs> is not because of God. It's because of us. And you can find that story in Genesis chapter three. Exactly. Yeah. And the other key thing in this is that God made mankind in His own image. So, Chris, what do you think it means to be made in the image of God? I mean, are we saying that God's got an eyes, a nose, and a mouth? I mean, what do we mean when we say he's, that we've been made in his image? Yeah, there are two words in that passage. One is image and the other is likeness. And if you pull it back to the original Hebrew, you find that those two words have different meanings. The word image represents an external thing like a sculpture, like a sculpture right. of an animal might be an image of that animal. So it looks like it on the outside. The word likeness, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, refers more to internal workings. For example, Moses comes down off the mountain and he's given plans for the tabernacle inside and out. And the word that's used there is the same word for likeness, right. all the inner details. Okay? The inner, de- the inner so details. This is like when somebody says to me, oh, Todd, you're just like your dad. Right, right. You carry the same mannerisms. You carry the same workings. You think the same, you process the same. Yeah. And as a consequence, your outward behavior is somewhat similar. Yeah. Right? I like to think of it, Again, finding a really simple version for us to be made in the image of God. If God was to walk past a shop window, we would be the reflection. We're like him, but we're not quite as substantial. We don't have everything he has. We are the image of him. Mm, Love it. That's really good. All right. So there's a few ideas floating around about God, which I think right from the outset we need to pull apart and, and get rid of because they're not who God declares himself to be. And one of them is what's referred to as deism. Mm -hmm. And the idea of deism is that um, God kind of, well, if God's there at all, then maybe he just kind of put everything in play, you know, that he he kind of like wound up the clock and walked away. Maybe he he kind of like got things started on the earth and then like evolution took over Mm -hmm. or... Or you know, and and there's this idea that that maybe that if God was there at all, that he did something like that, but now he's not really interested. That's right. Know? And you can find scientific evidence that could support this theory if you wanted to look at it that way. We know that you know um, every time we do something, we're expending energy but not getting a full return. So it's leading towards ultimate heat death of the universe, the law of entropy, that kind of thing. 
Uh, but those things we're told from Scripture are actually not God's fault. Uh, he made it good and perfect. Yeah. We caused the sin to enter into this creation, and now the whole of creation groans under the weight of the sin that we let in. Yeah. So yeah. it wasn't God winding it up and letting it deteriorate to nothing. We did it. So what does the Bible have to say about how involved he is with this creation? A lot. <laughs> A lot. From start to finish, he is there everywhere. He's yeah. never, never once does he sit back and not pay attention or ignore us or not have a finger on exactly what's happening. All right, well, let's have a look at some of the scriptures that bring that out. We're starting with Acts chapter 17, verse 28. For in him we live and move and exist. And some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Yeah, and that was Paul. He was um, at uh, uh, Mars Hill talking to a bunch of Greek philosophers. And, <laughs> and uh, he says, you know, he's, their own poets acknowledge that we are the offspring of God. Yep. But I love it. In him we live and move and, and as uh, the old King James says, and have our being. Have our being, yes. Is, is that everything that we're doing is taking place because he's there and that he's part of it. Mm -hmm. um, Jesus made some comments on this in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 26. Yeah. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns to your heaven. Sorry. I'll try that again. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? So there we've got him telling us that that his attention on us, it's like, yeah, look at the birds, right? You know, if God's looking after the birds, mm -hmm. how much more is he looking after us? Uh, and then in Luke chapter 12, Jesus made this statement. And the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to gold to God than a whole flock of sparrows. So, you know, gee, and, and this is the thing, right? This is this is if you've got a Bible with the red letter, this is red letters, right? Red letters. This, this is Jesus Himself mm -hmm. making comments about well Himself, yeah. right? Because Jesus is God, yeah, right? And and so He's 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 saying to His disciples, you've got to understand how much. God is in this. Yeah. How 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 strongly His attention is on you and drawn to you. Uh, and this is one of my favorites in Jeremiah oh, chapter yes. one. Jeremiah one verse five. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Man, hold the phone. <laughs> you know, like, before you were formed in your mother's womb. Oh, so what's this telling us? You know, it, it, it's saying that before, before the 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 egg and sperm came together, before yep. anything that to to produce us even started taking place, yep. we're already in the mind of God. He's yes. already got His attention on us, and has got a plan and a purpose for us. That's right. I, I, look, I want to say to you. I, I don't know what the circumstances around your birth were. And, you know, I've, I've talked to some people who have had some pretty ordinary starts in life. Mm -hmm. But do not for a moment take on the idea that you were some kind of accident. No, that's right. Or, or that you were not wanted. 
you know, even if even if your own parents have have told you something like you're an accident or we didn't want you or anything like that, I want to tell you right now that God's intention was that you would be here and that you would be here today. Amen. And this is so important to understand. Because when you're going through the roughest moments in your life, when you understand that you are not some accident, as as Chris said, you didn't come from the cosmic goo through the zoo yeah. to you. You are not just an animal with pants on. Mm-hmm. You are you are uniquely and wonderfully made. You you have a purpose and a destiny, and nothing but nothing should be given the chance of robbing you or God of the destiny that he has planned for you. I just want to encourage you, do not let that go. Your father in heaven loves you and has a plan and a purpose for your life. And you are just beginning, just beginning to discover what that purpose is. And so hold on. If you're going through through a rough time in choosing to follow Christ and it seems like, everything's getting worse around you or because we know the, the, yeah. the times that can happen. Mm-hmm. Hold on. All this is part of his plan for you and you've got the strength and the ability to get through it and God is going to use you in an amazing way and the things that he's got planned for you is just going to blow your mind. So I just want to encourage you in that. All right, so... Just as God formed Adam out of the dirt, he also states that he formed us in his mother's womb and he's intimately and intricately involved in our lives, far more than any of us can appreciate, certainly more than you can appreciate just as you're starting out this journey. The second thing about God is that he's our father and you know, Chris, I know that in our society today, that doesn't always mean something good. Mm, that's right. You know, the idea of father, I imagine that there, there could be some people that are, that are listening to this, that the word father actually makes them recoil. Yes. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, there, there is... There is a jobber. Chris, he, he's the, the, well, you tell him. How many kids have you got, bro? I have five children. And their ages? <laughs> 10, 9, 7, 2, and 10 months old. So if there's someone who understands what it means to be a father, it's this guy who's sitting across from me right Thank here. Thank you, Todd. But, I, like, I know that you are doing everything in your power to be a good dad. Yes, I am. But there are people who have not had the privilege of having someone like you as their dad. No, they have not. That is obviously going to impact on the way that they view this idea of God being father. Yes, it is. Yeah, And this is a gigantic hurdle which can take some people years, decades to get over if they're not discipled well and quickly in this. It can become a a real ball and chain that drags them back and stops them from understanding who they really are and who God really is, yeah. which just locks up their inheritance and their future and their plans and, and 
the devil laughs himself to sleep because they're stuck. Yeah. Stuck with this false concept of fatherhood. Yeah. And that's not an accident. This is a plan that the enemy has had in place because God chose to reveal himself. <clears throat> the, tr- the Trinity revealed themselves uh, as father and son yeah. and spirit. Father and son. He could have chosen himself as God and goddess. He could have said we're one creature with three heads. He could have revealed himself yeah. anyway, but he chose to reveal himself through the relationship of parent and child. Yeah. That was, that was what he thought was the most important way for us to encounter him. Mm. And so that must be important to him. Yeah. The concept of parent and child must be important to him. And so we need to understand that the enemy knows this and has been working for centuries to destroy the idea of parent and child relationships, fathers yeah. and mothers. Yeah. Family is the enemy's number one target. Yeah. Family, the natural family, the concept of family, the very notion of family mm. is his first goal. At, uh, his first target for destruction. So God is a good father. Yes, he is. And if if your father did not model what father God is like, which is what the, the call for all fathers is to be, mm. first of all, we want to say to you, we are sorry. <clears throat> yes, we are. We are so sorry that that was the case. But now, you do have a good dad yeah. and he loves you and cares for you and his desire for you is nothing but the best for you. And so one of the things that we want you to be encouraging is to start to develop a healthy perspective of God as your dad. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, we're told to call God our Father. And, and you would have heard the, the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who mm. is in heaven, hallowed be your holy, holy is your name. Yeah. And so as our creator, he's father to all humanity. But the thing is this, for a father to be a real father, there has to be relationship. Yep. And so the father sent Jesus as his son to become our brother. Our brother. And we see this in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. Yes. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father, now you are no longer a slave to God's own child. And since, sorry, now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Yeah, yeah. Abba, Father. Uh, Abba is the... See, um, Aramaic. uh, Yeah, yeah, the Aramaic word for father. So it's really like saying father, father. Father, father, yeah. Yeah, it's daddy, daddy. And uh, so that's the thing is that there is a heart cry now within us as his children, daddy, daddy, the desire for, for love and relationship. All right, so what about the idea that, well, you know, all roads lead to Rome. There, mm. there, there are, there's lots of different, there are many paths to God. You know, you can go... It's like there's the mountain and there's all these different paths, but they all lead to the top. Yeah. Um, so what, 
what does the Bible have to say about that? Well, the thing is, is that in Scripture, every other God, inverted commas, is not a God at all, but Father God declares himself as I am, the one true God. So we're going to have a look at a few Scriptures where God reveals himself and he says, I am. Uh, the first is in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. But Moses protested, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, then they will ask me, What is his name? Well, what should I tell them? So God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Mm, Yahweh, mm. I am. Psalm 96, verse 5. The gods of other nations are mere idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Love that. Yeah. And in Exodus 20, verses 2 to 6. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other gods but me. You must not make for yourselves idols of any kind or any kind of image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affections for any other gods. I lay the sin of the parents upon the children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Wow. Such a powerful passage. Yeah. Why does it say I'm a jealous God? Jealousy. Oh, people, because <coughs> people confuse jealousy with envy. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. Jealousy is, a, is when you are yearning for something that rightfully belongs to you. Yeah. If your partner is cheating on you, that partner's meant to be in a relationship with you. You are jealous for them because you're meant to be with them. They're meant to be with you. Yeah. Envy is when you are, are wanting something that belongs to or an attribute of another person. Yeah. Okay. So by confusing those two words, we've often confused this, na this nature of God. Jealous for us because we belong to him. He made us. Yeah. When we give our affections and our hearts to other people and God uses the imagery of, of adultery extensively throughout Scripture... We give our hearts away to some other God. He is jealous for us to return to him because he's the one who actually made us. Yeah, that's good. So what about then this idea that there are many ways to God? The scripture tells us really clearly that there is only one way. And and if you're listening to this, it's because you found the way. And yep. we, <laughs> we call ourselves the way. Uh, be, from this scripture that we're about to read now. John 14, verse 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. I mean, it seems like a pretty arrogant statement, doesn't it? <laughs> it that, does. That there is only one way. Another scripture says that there is only one way to God, which is through the man Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. And... And this is the thing is you cannot get around this concept as Christians that there is one way. One way only. And every other God is a false God. Every other road is a dead end. Yep. There is one way to God 
and that's through Christ Jesus. And so be encouraged that you have found the, the way. way. Exactly. All right. So what about the idea that of this angry God? You know, I've, I've bumped into people when I've been sharing on the streets and they say, I could never follow that that angry God that you you follow, you know, and they're, usually they're referring to, um, you know, stuff in the scripture about um, whole whole nations being killed by the Israelites. And yeah. look, that's a whole conversation for another time. It there is. is there is good reason that that took place, which we're not going to go into today. But the thing is, the idea of God being angry, in a sense, is actually true. But the point is, is that what is he angry at? Mm-hmm. And the thing that, that I want you want to help you understand is that when you step into Christ, he's certainly not angry at you. No, that's right. What he is angry with is sin. And we see this in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 20. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people uh, have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. (coughs) So what we're seeing in this scripture is that the God hates sin and there is anger towards those who know the truth but deliberately, maliciously, rebelliously choose to suppress that truth and go in their own direction. But the fact that he is angry with us or angry with with mankind and angry with the choices that they have made doesn't mean that he doesn't love us. And this is the thing is that that if you're a parent of a child, you know exactly what's going on mm-hmm. here. Your anger towards the, the actions of your children doesn't change your love for them. And we know that this is the case because we, we see this in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Now, when you start to put those two scriptures together, you get an amazing picture. Yes. God sees the sin that we're in and he's angry with that. And despite his anger, despite his anger with our sinfulness and rebellion, he chose to show his love for us in the most powerful way, which was sending himself. Yeah. As a man, Jesus Christ, to die and and not to just simply, uh, you know, just have a heart attack and die, to to die what is critically acknowledged as the most brutal, painful, humiliating, long-suffering, just awful death, awful death. And he chose to endure that. Mm. While we were sinners, he didn't say, Well, if you clean up your act, then I'll. No, no, no. It was <laughs> while we were in that sinful, rebellious 
state. We were openly hostile towards him. And, and, and rightfully causing yep. his anger towards us. Mm. And in the middle of that, he chose to show his love by sending Jesus to die. So is God angry? Yeah, to right, he's angry. He hates sin. Yep. He hates sin, but he loves you. That's right. He's angry with sin. And he's, and he's angry with those who choose to continue to sin. Mm. But he loves them. And his love never changes. No. And now that you have chosen to follow Christ, his anger is, is satisfied. He's got nothing to be angry with anymore. You've chosen to walk away from your rebellion and you've chosen to acknowledge him for who he is, to, to accept him, to accept what Jesus did on the cross to be sufficient to pay for all those wrong and stupid things that you have done. And now the Father has got nothing but love towards you to pour out on okay. you. Like we looked at in the last session, you are now dead to sin. Yeah. So as far as the collection of sin on the earth that God is angry at, you're, you don't belong in that category anymore. You are dead to that stuff. You stepped out of it and you stepped back into life with Him. So we want to encourage you to... Start pursuing this relationship with Daddy. Yeah. Daddy who loves you has got nothing but a heart of warmth and adoration. When he looks at you, he sees someone who is just like Jesus Christ. There is nothing to fear. There is no judgment that he holds towards you. There is nothing but love that he has for you. And so I, my prayer for you, from this session is that you would step deeper and deeper into the love of the Father and you would develop a healthy relationship with your Father. Amen. We'll Amen. see you in the next session.